John was anxious for Jesus to really do something politically and maybe get him out of prison. And John probably said out of the, what's he doing lately? And they yelled, he's preaching up in Galilee and healing people. And John may have said, why doesn't he, you know, really get to it and preach against Caesar and Pilate and Herod like I did? That's why I'm in prison. I preached against Herod. Herod Agrippa had a brother named Herod Philip. And they both were sent to Rome to study. Believe it or not, that's true. Do you know that? Absolutely true. Great evidence. Herod's two sons of Herod were sent to Rome. And while they were at Rome, Herod Agrippa got to like Herod Philip's wife, and they returned from Rome, and now Herod Philip's wife is living with Herod Agrippa. And John the Baptist denounced that sin, public sin by the public leaders. The two kings of the north, the two Herods, Pontius Pilate ruled the south. Pontius Pilate ruled Judea. Herod Agrippa ruled the northwestern quarter of Palestine, and Herod Philip ruled the northeastern quarter. They were both called tetrarchs. Tetra means quarter. They both ruled the quarter. Pilate ruled the bottom half. And so John spoke against their sin, and Herod threw him in prison. He didn't, he didn't repent. He just tried to get rid of the preacher. That's how some people do it. Tried to silence the preacher. That's what they did with Amos in the Old Testament. Amos preached against sin. The king said, get out of town, Amos. So John's saying, when's Jesus going to really get started preaching against these political people and we're going to organize and start a kingdom? Uh, I mean, it's nice to tell everybody, love one another and turn your cheek and heal somebody, but when are we going to really start being the Messiah, the Christ? So he said, I don't think, you know, John the Baptist already said to Jesus, said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John did that two years ago. John believed in Jesus. John baptized Jesus and said, I'm not fit to touch your shoe latchet. John believed. But now that he's in prison, he's lost his patience. Sometimes we do that. We want God to move a little faster, and we want him to move in our way. So John lost his patience and said, you send him a little reminder to hurry up. Uh... Are you the Christ, or do we look for somebody else? Can you imagine John the Baptist saying that? That shows you, you see, that great men of faith can have down moments. Only our Lord is perfectly sinless. Well, verse 20, when these men came unto him, they said, John the Baptist sent us unto you. I can imagine Peter said, Hey, here's two guys from John the Baptist. Great. Bring them forward. And Andrew said, here's two guys from John the Baptist. And they probably said, oh, good to see you, and patted them on the shoulder and shook hands or whatever they did, and they embraced two men from John the Baptist. And I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew said, Peter, boy, wait till you hear what they want. You're going to blow up. Well, what do you want? You've come here to hear the Lord. You want to hear a blessing? Take it back to John. Hear a good sermon? Take it back to John. Well, we've got a message from John. Oh, everybody quiet. We want to hear the message. 
Oh, it'll be a blessing. John, oh, did I heard John preach when he told everybody to repent and baptize him. John's a great man. Boy, we love John. This will be a great message. Oh, quiet. Tell everybody quiet. We want to hear the message from John. This is going to be a great blessing. We're all going to be lifted up tonight. We're going to hear the message from John. Okay, everybody quiet. What's the message from John? This is going to be a real blessing. John says, Are you the one that's to come? Are you the real Messiah? Or shall we look for somebody else that'll start doing some things? That's it. See that? The, uh, the little thunderclap there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter said, I'd like to hit him one. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if Bartholomew said, I can't believe it. John's gone uh, batty in that prison. I can't believe John the Baptist would ever say that. Imagine that. Are you the one, or shall we look for another? Now, my guess is that some of them said, well, we're not going to tell the master that, and they finally told the master that. And... Uh, I always thought when I was younger, Jesus should have said, yes, I am. And uh, you tell John the Baptist that his question wasn't very nice. That's how years ago I would have answered the question. Boy, that wasn't a very nice question. Imagine if a minister, imagine Sunday, you're preaching at a church. Somebody comes up, are you the real pastor? Or shall we get somebody else that can do the job? Oh, then you're ready for a big church war. That's right. That's right. That's how it sounds when the war starts. And here it is. And I thought Jesus should have said, yes, of course I am. But it says in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities. Apparently he heard the question and said, I'll talk to you soon. And kind of defused the situation by not giving a quick answer. Honest and true. I, bet, I wouldn't be surprised they were already getting a fistfight with these two guys. Because it really hurts when your own people say, we don't know if you're really doing a good job. We don't know if we should look for somebody else. That really hurts. And Jesus apparently said, well, I'm ministering now. Let's just continue with the ministry and the healing. And let's get to this later. And that would have calmed everybody down a little. Verse 21, in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits. And unto many that were blind. Now remember that passage we just read in Isaiah 35. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. And Jesus answering said unto them, here's what he said to these two people, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. Now notice he didn't add, John, I'm, tell John I'm really disappointed in him. Tell John he's a rotten guy. Jesus understands John's in prison. He's in great strain. He wants to be out there preaching. He's in prison. He says, you tell John what you saw. You have heard and seen, verse 22, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor... The good tidings is preached. 
Suddenly, do you see? Jesus, instead of saying yes, if Jesus said, tell him yes, are you the one, tell him yes. They'd have gotten back and said, he says, yes, John. So yelling up to the wind, he says, yes. John would have said, well, then have, tell him to get a move on. Ask him when he's getting a move on. And two days later, they'd have walked back and they'd gone through it. Jesus did better than saying yes. He called the messenger's attention to the fact he was doing and fulfilling exactly the words of Isaiah 35 that would be characteristic when the Messiah would come to comfort and to save his people. See, John's problem was, you don't seem to be saving anybody, you seem to be spinning your wheels in the desert. The Bible says when God came to save his people, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, and the crippled would walk, and later it says, and the people would hear the gospel, the good news. In other words, he was fulfilling the very prophecies of God in Isaiah 35. Was he the Messiah? Yes, because he's doing the work of the Messiah. Some people said Jesus never said he was the Christ. Absolutely absurd. He said it right here. Said it right here. Notice, though, one of the most tender verses in the whole Bible. By the way, just back for a second to Luke 7. Jesus said in verse 23, Blessed is he who, whosoever shall not be offended in me. I shall be very shocked when I get to heaven if I find that John the Baptist did not weep and sob and cry that night when he heard those words. Blessed is he that is not of offended in me. You know what Jesus was saying? Blessed is somebody who's not embarrassed over my slowness to take over the world and save Israel and save the world and save humanity. John was embarrassed at the slowness of the Savior and of God's plan to save the nation. And Jesus had to look down. I don't know if he looked up or he looked down, but Jesus had to say, Blessed are those that are not embarrassed over me. Ashamed of the Savior. Embarrassed at the slowness of the Savior's working. And so back at Isaiah 35. He will come and save you. You see, the remarkable thing about this when God comforts his people, the first time Jesus came, he did these very things. The second time he comes, he shall do them, but to the whole world. The first time he came, he came to Israel, and he saved and healed and cured a narrow little group in a narrow little land about the size of New Jersey. The second time he's coming, to deliver the entire world. And every eye shall see him. And then, we who are alive and remain, if it be the Lord's will, 
suddenly shall all see well. And I believe it, when he comes, the glasses will be thrown away and the hearing aids will be tossed aside and the crutches will be gone for good as the Lord comes to save his people. Waters shall break out like streams in the desert. I think that'll be physical water in the millennium, but in John chapter 7, on the first time, our Lord said that his spirit would be living waters that would come out of us. You see, when the Messiah came, living waters would break out. Jesus says in John 7, 37 and 38, that those who believe in me shall have those living waters and those waters will be a fountain that will never dry up and that will run out of you and that water of life can fill others as you witness. So you see again, in a spiritual sense here, at the first coming, he gave streams in the desert to our souls. When he comes again soon, he's going to give true water to the desert all around the world. Notice also when he, it says when he would come to save. See, at the end of verse 4, it says he will come and save you. When he would come and save, even though the rabbis for a thousand years could not figure out the plan, at the end of verse 8, it says, the wayfaring man, though fools, or wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. As in the millennium, so now, the plan of salvation is clear. The complicated way that God made the plan of salvation, which we call the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, theologians have debated for 2,000 years. His substitutionary atonement on the cross complicated in a way but the plan of salvation it says the wayfaring men though fools shall not err therein and the plan of salvation is clear the way to Jerusalem is clear remarkable how God could make such a complicated plan of salvation that nobody in a thousand years could figure it out but once it arrived, it's so simple, we can witness so easily and tell people about Christ. It's so surprising. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. Well, I'm going to just jump for the last five minutes to Isaiah chapter 40. And he continues on this. He continues on this. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. Her warfare is accomplished, her iniquity is pardoned. Well, we're looking for the second coming. At this moment, you know, Israel has proclaimed that Jerusalem is the capital city of their country. They proclaimed it in 19, in fact, 67, when they took Jerusalem. 
Tel Aviv was the capital from 1948, May 48, to June 67. Tel Aviv was the capital because Jerusalem wasn't in existence. Uh, at least they didn't own it. It was in existence, but they didn't own it. King Hussein of Jordan owned Jerusalem from 1948 to 1967. Tel Aviv was the new city. Tel Aviv was built around 1900. They started it. Tel Aviv means hill of springtime. But in June the 11th, 1967, when Jerusalem was conquered, they proclaimed Jerusalem is the capital. And they just asked everybody uh, in this last year to move their capital uh, or their embassy over, but there's been great arguments about it. And the United States uh, has been delaying, and it's very difficult because Saudi Arabia has been our friend and King Hussein has been moderate, and so we don't want to offend those people, yet we want to be Israel's friend, and so we kind of acknowledge that Jerusalem is the capital, but we keep the embassy in Tel Aviv. Well, it's a difficult political question, and I'll leave it for another day, but what I want to say is, Jerusalem's troubles are not yet over. Jerusalem's troubles are not yet over. And though they go up and down, and right now there seems to be peace in Jerusalem, trouble will rise again in the Middle East. Trouble will rise again in the Middle East, and Jerusalem will be attacked by all nations surrounding and by Russia And uh, we may very well be getting to a nuclear position where Ezekiel 38 could be fulfilled that Russia could attack Israel and really what can we do about it? Uh, can we bomb them with nuclear weapons? Uh, if indeed some scientists are correct who now say that out of our almost 20,000 nuclear warheads, if we drop more than 100, and I'm not saying they're right or not, and that's a separate question, but some scientists are saying, if out of our almost 20,000 warheads, if we would retaliate against Russia with about 100, and any one of these are many times stronger, than what we dropped at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We'll have a nuclear winter. And there'll be so much dust in the sky that uh, life on the earth might be wiped out. Well, we can have a big argument about whether that's true or whether that's propaganda. But I think the point is we may be getting into a position where we just would not dare to retaliate uh, with 100 bombs, let alone 12 or 20,000. Nuclear retaliation may be impossible. And if nuclear retaliation is impossible, Ezekiel 38 and Russia's invasion of the Holy Land may be uh, unavoidable and not preventable.
by our current type of conventional armaments, which is much lower than theirs. Uh, it's not, you know, I used to teach physics. I know it's not all that dumb. I flew in a little plane over Mount St. Helens. I was 100 miles from Mount St. Helens when it erupted one of those times. And I could hardly see out of the plane. I was 100 miles away from Mount St. Helens over Seattle. We had to land because the red dust in the sky was so great, you just couldn't see. And then I, at 104 miles away, I gathered a whole bottle full of dust from Mount St. Helens off a VW roof. It was thick enough in one VW roof for me to gather a whole bottle of Mount St. Helens ash, 100 and some miles away. So you see, the world may be entering the time of the end events, and as we get close, we end with, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And in verse 9, O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings. Lift up thy voice. And I just want to mention the good tidings because when John said, are you he or look we for another, Jesus said to John, you've seen what happened. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the crippled are walking, and even the dead are rising. That fulfilled Isaiah 35, and he said, the good tidings, today we use the word gospel, the good tidings are being preached. That's what Isaiah 40 verse 9 says. When God rescues his people and saves them and comforts them, when it's God's moment to send the Messiah, the good tidings will be preached. So Jesus said, John, hey cousin, remember your Bible, remember the devotions, remember Isaiah 35, remember Isaiah 40, it's being fulfilled right in front of you. He is the Messiah. He fulfilled these chapters of comfort and joy at his first coming, but they were just a little sample of the way he's going to fulfill them when he comes again. Then the dead will really start to rise. When he gives the shout and the dead in Christ rise, the world of the dead will rise. And we which are alive that remain, blind people, deaf people and crippled people, all healed in the moment when Jesus comes again. Tonight we've looked at the comfort and we remember that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah. He was the comforter and he's coming again to comfort us even more. You have listened to Dr. Gary G. Cohen complete the second in a series of five messages from the book of Isaiah on the future of the Middle East. To hear Dr. Cohen's third lecture in this series, please listen to the next cassette.